Hello there, and welcome back to Potshot Arsenal Women's Edition. I'm your host, Will. Listener, we're already in mid-November, and in the spirit of fireworks night, I'm kicking things off with a bang with two irrepressible partners. First off, the indomitable spirit of Sebastian Hund. Seb, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I always am after your intros, but yeah, uh, I'm really fine. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. And it's an unchanged lineup for this episode. Breath of fresh air. That is Max Radwan. Max, welcome back. How are you? Um, I'm good. Thanks for having me again. Can't get rid of me now. <laughs> you are. <laughs> yes, well, you're very welcome. Uh, we will start things off this week with our pot shop question. Now, listener... I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, he's not doing a bear question again. He's already done one. He's not going to do two. And let me tell you, I'm calling your bluff because this week, my question is about the giant panda bear. And my question is this, Max, I'll let you go first uh, because I think it's only fair that Seb always goes last. Uh, My question is this, in an average day, how much bamboo does a giant panda bear eat? Oh, wow. Um, well, I think last time I answered a bear question, I said um, it would be fun to fight a, a duck-sized bear. So I'm going to have to um, go over. I don't think I'll be able to give quite as unhinged an answer this time. But uh, I'm going to say, I mean, I'm just going to imagine for a second that they have three meals a day like a human. They probably don't. They probably just, you know, eat it whenever. Um, but I'm going to go for a nice round number and say they have 10 sticks, re- regular size sticks of bamboo a day. <laughs> that's that's interesting because I wasn't expecting sticks as a unit. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't know what the standardised measure is for bamboo. But <laughs> I was just asking, I mean, this is... This is something that people probably have researched, so there might be an answer here. Have you researched the answer, Will? Yes, I always research the answer. Perfect. So can you give me the measurement and how the amount of bamboo is is, is calculated? Yes, we're, well, yes, I guess it's mass of bamboo. So Okay, so we're going be, grams? It could be grams, it could be kilos, it could be tons. I'm not going to give you a frame of reference. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with about a kilo worth of bamboo a day. Yeah? Okay. It seems excessive, but yeah. Yeah? <laughs> it's, it's, a big, we- it's a big thing, so yeah, I mean, a, a kilo <laughs> might cover it. Max, would you like to give me a, an answer that's in a unit of, of mass? Yeah, I think that might be a good idea. You know when you get those recipes sometimes that are in a, they're done with the American metrics and it's like one stick of butter, and you're like, what, what are you on about? Especially <laughs> what I've done there. Um, so, okay, actually, I think, yeah, following Seb's logic that, you know, they are quite big animals, um, I'm actually going to go two kilos of bamboo in a day. Well, I can tell you that just by virtue of having the higher answer, Max, you are correct. Christ, how much does it eat? A giant panda bear eats approximately 12 to 12 and a half kilos of bamboo per day. What? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I also also found out 
that because they used to be carnivores and they've only been eating bamboo for a few million years, they only digest like approximately 17% of the dry matter in the bamboo that they eat, which I, I guess is why that's, they eat so much. That's crazy. Yeah, that wow. was that was some good bear content. I'm going to struggle to top that for the next episode. While we're on rambling, and I think um, rambling in potshot questions has been a, the theme of the week, uh, I just wanted to bring the potshot question of the, the men's pod into this because it was a question aimed at everyone that Logan had come up with. Yeah. And that's what would change if pasta were to boil slower than it does now. So pasta boils at about 10 minutes roundabout. If you were to say pasta would take about 30 minutes to boil, would there be any substantial difference in the history of pasta? Yeah, I mean, I guess if I go first, I thought this was really, this is like the perfect pot shot question because it's just completely insane. Um, but also, but also like it requires, it requires an intelligent answer, but it's such a, such a deranged topic to be intelligent about. Um, yeah, it's interesting actually, because I imagine more like eureka moments would happen mm -hmm. in just like the history of the world if people were just standing boiling their pasta. So I think, I don't know like what effect it would have on like Italian cuisine, but I think the world would be a better place if pasta was less practical to cook as a dish. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are, Max. Um, yeah, well, I, again, I can't say I've spent much time thinking about this, but now you mention it, it is a compelling question and um i think in terms i mean actually i was making some pasta um tomato sauce and some tuna for lunch it's very nice and um i guess when you're actually the thing is when you're actually boiling the pasta right it doesn't really matter if you've got like another hobby you can use it doesn't really matter how long it takes because you can just obviously be doing the rest of you know the sauce or whatever when you're doing it um so I don't know how much difference it would make in the sort of um, modern in, in modern cuisine. Um, but yeah, whether it would have actually been um, discovered in the first place. I mean, I guess, if yeah, if you discover something by accident, if, or I don't know, I don't know if that's discovered by accident, but um, I guess it's more likely to happen, um, you know, in a, in a shorter um, span of time. Um, so yeah, that's what I have to say on the math. <laughs> I like, yeah, I mean, I, I like the, I like the, the question that will linger there is whether, whether pasta is accidental or not. Um, and I think it's one for us all to think about, but I will move things on now to talk about football, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> or fortunately, actually, because it's been a good, it's been a good three games and it has been three games since we last spoke. Um, first of all, Arsenal played Manchester City uh, at home in the first Meadow Park game of the season. An impressive pressing performance yielded a Catley goal in the first half. Kim Little could have doubled the score from the penalty spot, but her effort was denied. After the break, City largely controlled the game and were able to equalise through Chloe Kelly, but the advantage was not carried over the line as Steena was able to capitalise on Akira Keating error to make it 2-1. In midweek, a changed Arsenal side beat Bristol 3-1 in the Conti Cup. And 
on the weekend, Arsenal travelled to the King Power Stadium to take on Leicester. At halftime, things looked bleak. A quick-fire double saw Tierney and Cayman punish Arsenal for what was a less-than-fluent performance. But a change team came out in the second half. Arsenal scored four goals in 12 minutes and ran out 6-2 winners with Lacasse, Russo, Ford, Pulover, Stina Blackstenius and Lena Hurtig all scoring. I'll tell you what, fireworks night, that was a fireworks show. That was something special. Um, where should we start? I, I mean, I guess, before we get on to the tactics, Max, I'll come to you. Um, for the vibes at Meadow Park in the win over City. Um, Arsenal women's games are a very vibey place to be now. Most of our listeners have probably heard the Chloe Lacasse song. Uh, and it's just, there's a lot of fun right now. How how good was the atmosphere um, at Meadow Park? Um, it was excellent, yeah. Um, it's been quite a while since I've actually last been to Meadow Park, so... I was really looking forward to going to this game because I think even like when you watch the games on TV, you can really hear um, the, the crowd yep. noise coming through. And I think it helps that Arsenal were playing a direct rival in City, but with it being, I think it was a 12.30 kickoff on a Sunday, you could mm-hmm. probably excuse the crowd being a bit sleepy in, in typically in games like that, but it really wasn't the case at all. Um, I think it helps that now at the... Um, by the stadium, they Boreham Wood has um, set up a new sort of bar, basically. So um, you know, getting a few, getting a pint or two in before the game always helps, um, even if that means you have to start drinking at a loosely <laughs> early hour for an early kickoff. Um, but yeah, um, I think the crowd are really up for it, and I think to be honest, in a game where, and I will come onto the football more generally, but where. Technically, I think City were, were the better side in the day. I think having having the fans, particularly in the North Bank, which is uh, behind the goal that Steph Cowley scored in, where the, the most vocal Arsenal fans tend to be congregated, um, I think that really helped. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of love for this team um, that kind of comes across from the from the match-going fan base. And, um, and also, the, the, I think that, that spreads into the, on, the wider online community. Um, but in short, yeah, the uh, the vibes were were excellent, and fortunately, so was the football. Yes, that's right. Um, Seb, in in previous episodes, we've spoken, I think, a couple of times about Arsenal's right back options, and I think it might have been in our last episode. I referred to Katie McCabe as the dreaded inverted McCabe. Jonas Eideval obviously listens and hates me because he started <laughs> Katie McCabe there in both of our uh, recent league matches. Um, specifically with regards to Man City, he spoke about the fact that essentially City are really good in wide areas. Um, and obviously that makes sense seeing who their wide players are. And he wanted he wanted to bring more of the game into central areas. What did you think about the decision to kind of start McCabe um, to affect that change and I guess that plan more generally? Um, I found it interesting considering I think Jonas was talking about Manchester City in possession and their ability to, you know, play in wide areas. 
And as such, getting McCabe in at right back didn't necessarily change all that much to our defensive shape. What happened rather was her being another central option in possession for us, getting a lot more inside than uh, both uh, Catley on the other side and uh, the winger on our side, which was uh, Chloe Lacasse, obviously. Um, I think generally against City, it worked both as a counter-pressing measure where Katie was able to push up aggressively and sort of stop transitions uh, in their in their infancy, um, as well as her contribution when we were in possession. Um, the game generally sort of followed the theme of what we are in big games and what we have been in big games this season, which is uh, being able to and being willing to be a lot more direct and um, focus on our counter-press and our press rather than sort of trying to sustain pressure high up the pitch and sustain possession uh, to, to break teams down that way. Um, and through that, I think the first half of that really worked as well. Yeah, and and um, just speaking about that and our approach, the first half, I think in particular, Max did the, did the kind of physicality of our approach stand out to you? Um, yeah, um... And much more so, I think, when you're when you're actually there as well. That's that's one of those things, especially being quite a, tight, a stadium that's quite tight to the pitch, really comes across. Um, when I was watching the game back, it's quite it's quite obvious to see. I mean, it was obvious watching it the first time that we were really struggling against City's press early on, and when we were trying to play out from the back, um, I think Lotta almost got herself in trouble quite early in the game, and City had had a number of shots in the first um, 10, 10, 15 minutes. And it was a problem for us. And I think when we sort of changed our approach a bit to just go a bit longer and try and win those second balls or counter press, we had a lot more joy out of that. Um, the goal actually comes from uh, us winning the ball back. And then obviously it's really good to hold up play from Ford and a brilliant finish from Catley. And I think the, uh, the penalty that we won in the first half kind of um, exemplified our approach at its best. Um, if I remember correctly, we um, initially um, put City under pressure and forced them back. I can't remember who it was who loses the ball, but it it ends with, um, I think it was Kim, maybe, press, pressing the goalkeeper and, and, and obviously Keating brings her down and um, at least the penalty, which sadly wasn't converted. But that sort of approach of almost letting City play a bit and allowing them to get a bit confident and forcing them into mistakes and knowing knowing when to press, um, I think was really crucial on a day where I think, as I said before, I, I think we were second best um, technically and they were really able to control the game in, in the second half, which, which we'll come on to. But um, yeah, I think having, I think Arsenal, I think in general, this is quite a physical side and we've seen Jonas talk that up before. Um, and, there were definitely shades to the um, has similarities to the game against City last season, actually. Um, and yeah, I think being able to sort of add that that physical dimension to our game uh, really came to the fore uh, against City. On that, I think uh, it's instructive that we once again saw a little play in the ten and Pelova play deeper, um, which then again uh, sort of confirmed my theory of why we did that. This that way around, which uh, is basically having Kim higher up as someone who is incredibly intelligent in the counter press and knows when and how to press and how to shape her body that way, 
as well as Pullover deeper, both from an in-possession standpoint of her having more space to drive into and uh, more space to to pick out passes, uh, as well as just her physicality and her ability to cover ground being a good uh, sort of transition control element in deeper midfield rather than having Kim there. Yeah, yeah, that that does make sense. Um, I guess, Seb, sticking with you, at times in this game, Arsenal really kind of struggled with City's press. Um, mm-hmm. Why is that? Um, That's a good question. I suppose a lot of it is the quality of their press is just very good and they have a lot of very good players. Uh, executing that press as well as a few players in the team having sort of a bit of a problem when being pressed especially the defense isn't quite as press resistant and as able to play out as the iteration last season was especially um though i think Lotte does relatively well in those situations um but i think it's more to do with the quality of city's press rather than um any sort of self-sustained structural issues. Um, but then again, having the ability to to recognize that and change the approach early on was a positive. I, on Max's point, I had written down, before the goal was scored, which was in the 13th minute, City had 70% possession and six to six shots to zero from us. So that sort of indicated how um, aggressive they came out and how uh, much they yielded from that before we started to sort of get more into the game and get our pressing uh, our pressing across more, basically. Yeah, and it, it was definitely a factor of this game that at times Arsenal rode their luck. Um, mm-hmm. After being pegged back, um, we were given a real gift by uh, City's goalkeeper and we had the, the perfect player... Uh, to take advantage of that, I called. I think I called it like the ultimate Black Stenia thing, that goal, because it's just what Stina <laughs> Stina does so well. She just runs and she looks to make things happen. Uh, and Max, I know you wanted an opportunity to uh, to give her some praise. Yeah, you mentioned uh, a Black Stenia. Yeah, as you say, a typical Black Stenia thing. Um, going back slightly to the sort of pre-match vibes. Um, there's a group who you might, may or may not have seen on Twitter called um, AWFC Home and Away, who had um, done some brilliant work to um, come up with a few um, wonderful Arsenal women stickers. Uh, one of which is basically just a sticker in sticker form of the um, popular meme you may have not seen, may or may not have seen that just says "You've just got Blackstinia for a picture of Stina there." And um, yeah, I feel like that meme was, was, was specifically designed for for the winning goal she scored. So um, yeah, in terms of her role this season, Jonas has spoken a lot about having like a starting eleven and a finishing eleven, and generally, um, Stina has been part of that finishing eleven with with Russo taking the starting forward spot. Although we did see them both start against United, um, but I think a lot of Stina's goals this season have come late uh in the games um i mean she scored three goals after the 75th minute in uh all of our games this week um so i think having that player who is just going to come on when the players are when against a tired defense and just run 
basically and and use her strength uh, and get on the end of things is a, is a real weapon for Arsenal to have. Obviously, there's a huge slice of luck involved in, in uh, her winner against City specifically. And I mean, in general, I think it's fair to say Arsenal did ride the luck at times in this game. Um, when I was looking for the numbers, Arsenal created... Um, Basically, if you take out that howler from keeping at the end of the game, Arsenal created an open play XG of 0.3. I think the overall XG is 2, but that takes into account basically the pen, and that senior chance was worth like 0.92, according to SBRF. But yeah, I think think Arsenal fans can be really infused with how Cena started the season, because you you only have to go back to January when she was reportedly uh, offered to United as part of um, like a a swap deal package uh, with United for Russo. And obviously in the end, we've got Russo free <laughs> instead, which always feels nice to say. And there won't be any United fans listening to this, but if they are, I'm sure that will stay to be reminded of that. But anyway, the fact is we've, we've ended up in a situation where we've got both players at the club and it could have, you know, it would be very easy for a player like Blackstenius to have dropped her head at the thought of basically being second choice. And instead she's risen to the challenge of having this, this new role and on the basis of the season so far, she's already scored uh, four times for us, and I think that's and also came on against uh, Villa and caused um, a fair bit of chaos. And I think, um, yeah, that that's really encouraging. Yes, going forward, it is. Um, and we've uh, we've spoken about Stina a couple of times, and the the tactical option she gives us towards the end of games. Um, to just constantly run and run and run against tired teams. Um, and it's great to see that that already bearing fruit. Um, about this game in general, Seb, one thing I wanted to ask you was almost kind of when when luck or, as, as nerds would put it, variant plays <laughs> a large part in, like, uh, in, in kind of what you take away from a result, how... How much stock do you put down to that, I guess? So, like, for, or how much stock do you put in that, I should say? So, for example, like, I know some people uh, like completely ignore the the mistake from Keating and, and they're almost like it's something that you should, you know, completely put out of your mind when you're thinking about the game. But then the flip side is um, you don't ever capitalize on mistakes unless you run and unless you close people down and unless you press people, et cetera, et cetera. So how much do you consider variants when thinking about games like this uh, in this game specifically i think you could make an argument for variance insofar that we were incredibly passive in the second half and city largely controlled the game and created a fair few very good chances so logic would suggest that city probably should have had about two goals before the mistake itself had happened but on the other hand, I wouldn't say the mistake as such is, is variance as much as it is forced luck, basically. Um, because you, you have someone with Stina who has the ability to, to make those runs and to, uh, get back into a sort of baseline intensity in, in the press, uh, that then leads to situations like that happening. Of course, with someone, a goalkeeper that's quite young and, uh, inexperienced, mistakes are probably a lot more uh, probable than they are for more experienced keeper, though our keepers certainly don't suggest as much. I would put it down more as a merited win for the effort shown on that goal and the effort to, to get back into the game as such is, rather than uh, it being pure luck. 
while still being quite negative on the second half performance in general and and how he played there. So but both of those things can be true at the same time. And uh, that's what we and the coaches probably take out of that game. Yes. And it's also um, just from like a, a vibes point of view, it's also quite fun to feel like you've stolen a result. Yeah, that's true. a great feeling. Moving on, we will speak briefly about the Conti Cup game, um, mainly because it's a Conti Cup game. Uh, we won. There's not that much to talk about, but I think probably the most exciting thing was the midfield pairing of Kyra Cooney-Cross and Katrina Kuhl. Um, Max, I'll come to you here. Um, I think most fans would have... We're hoping to have seen more of Kyra Cooney Cross by now because she's obviously a really good young midfielder. I mean, it's also worth bearing in mind that Katrina Cool is also like a really promising young midfielder too. Uh, and yeah, we have two really exciting young midfielders, and we saw them play. Uh, how how much did you enjoy the game, and what did you think of their their performance in midfield? Um, well, like you say, there's definitely been, there's always, there always seems to be one or two players for any team where there's like a particular clamour for, if you like, um, everyone's calling for. And I think Cooney Cross and Cool were these two players, particularly um, Cooney Cross, obviously having just arrived and you get that sort of almost, I don't want to say shiny new toy syndrome because that's dismissive of, of her qualities that she definitely has as a player, but there's, there's obviously an element of, of us actually wanting to get a look at a player who, before the Conti Cup game, had only played five minutes of league football. Um, and I think on, with Cool as well, she had maybe not the easiest um, first six months at Arsenal because she was coming into a team with a lot of injuries. She was having to be played out of position and sort of get minutes pretty sort of inconsistently. Um, but she had a really good World Cup with Denmark and was very good for them in the recent international break as well. Um, so I think, yeah, these were two players that we were really looking forward to and to seeing and the one positive of being in the group stage of the Conti Cup, which obviously, I mean, the Champions League starts tonight and I think we all know what competition Arsenal fans would rather be in, but the one positive is you can basically go out and with no disrespect to the competition, which we obviously won last season, or Bristol City, you can go and make, um, I don't think it was quite 11 changes, but it was, it was nine or 10 for this game. And we, um, changed the whole midfield within that. And I think, yeah, these were the two players that really caught the eye. Um, a lot of people just naturally had a, had a close eye on Cooney Cross with it being her full debut. And to be honest, I don't think this was like a... She kind of didn't... I wouldn't say she really got out of second gear in this game, but at the same time, you could really see her class just in, on like some of the stage she was putting on the passes. And there were a couple of driving runs she did, which sort of hinted at the potential she has to be quite a dynamic player. Not sure she necessarily has the defensive know-how of a player like Leo Valti yet, but that could be something that develops in her game. Uh, we'll just have to see. And with Cool, um, yeah, I think she showed real quality in this game. Um, I don't think her technical ability um, could be questioned at all. And, and when, when the space kind of opened up for her to play, she really um, polished Bristol City. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't think there was much to write home about in this game, but I think um yeah, these are the two players that, that caught the eye. 
um and there's a really good comp of uh cool going around um by at beam comps who i don't know listeners are familiar with who does a very good job of uh making match comps of um all the players so i'd recommend seeking that out yes yeah and it's um it's very exciting because Arsenal obviously have a really strong starting midfield pair. Um, and uh, Seb, we kind of spoke earlier in the season about Arsenal's midfield options. Um, and it's it's in, in the in the women's game where you don't tend to get kind of stacked squads in the same way. Obviously, game, mm-hmm. teams play fewer games in a season. That's um, Cooney Cross and Cool aren't necessarily sixes in the same way that Leah Velti is, but they are two really exciting young players. Uh, and it's, it, I know usually we speak about like how exciting it is to have both Alessia Russo and Vic, <laughs> but like this is also really exciting just having two, two really, really promising young midfielders who are only going to get better in the next few years. Yeah, definitely. And with uh, Kuni Cross especially, um, she sort of, in her two performances now, has given me some hope about her playing in the six. She does still worry me a bit on the defensive end and especially in defensive transition, but her in-possession play definitely suits uh, the deeper role in midfield. And having someone who can capably play that role is already a big improvement on having nobody there and praying that Leah Velti will never get injured and never miss a minute of football. So from that point of view, that's already a huge improvement. Um, and then thinking about her potential is even better. Yes, for sure. And on that note of positivity, let's take a break. And we are back after that sweet jazzy jingle. Now, on to the Leicester game. And this was the most game of two halves game I can ever remember seeing. In the first half, Arsenal really struggled with Leicester's high press. And in the second half, well, they didn't. Seb, I'll come to you first. Um, What... What changed at, at halftime? Because this was this was really, really, really different between the first half and the second half. So what changed? Um, I know we'd written in the intro that one change team came out at halftime, but in reality, probably two change teams came out at halftime. I can't quite remember a team collapsing this badly um, as Leicester did in that second half. So I think what had happened was um, Leicester were probably taking Arsenal by surprise with their uh, aggressive one-to-one pressing approach. And Arsenal in the first half were basically doing everything you shouldn't do in those situations, especially if you have a qualitative advantage over your opponent, Um, which meant a lot of turnovers in deep areas um, and some other issues in terms of uh, defending personnel, which we'll come on to, um, as well as goalkeeper mistakes. But Again, we'll come on to those. Um, and what we'd done in the second half, the areas Leicester had given us to play into were apparent in the first half, I, th- I thought. But the both the preparation and execution of our actions 
in the second half were greatly improved. So we were more able to have a have personnel back to prepare moves and then have people committing to their opposite numbers higher up to then play more directly into them, beat their opposite player 1v1, and then get into uh, transition knee moments uh, in those areas. And the big problem with that approach, uh, if you're Leicester and you're playing that, is that once you are down, when you're equal, and then especially when you're down, you're kind of caught between two minds, whether you are going to continue your approach and sort of stay with it or drop back. And a lot of teams, including Leicester, um, sort of get caught between the two and sort of ease off a bit on the press, but don't ease off on on their line height, which then creates even more problems for them. It's a similar issue United, uh, the United men's team, funnily enough, had against, when they're playing Liverpool, where they were competitive in the game and once um, once they were down, um, the entire structure breaks and you you have the opportunity to either retreat and sort of stay in position or continue your thing and sort of getting in that in-between phase really problematizes the entire approach and I think Leicester were guilty of that and therefore collapsed quite badly as well as some really good execution especially in the first like 15 minutes uh, from Arsenal which basically broke their spirits um, and get got them into that position in the first place where Arsenal then were able to sort of more calmly uh, get out more frequently. Yes, yeah. I mean, that was a good that was a good um, summary of what happened. And I gave you a very a very kind of non specific question <laughs> because I was buying myself time to try and figure out where the hell to start with this game uh, because there are so many different things to talk about. I mean, I guess we can start. Um, I think we with... should start with the bad. Yeah. So the first half. Yes, yeah. And and I mean I'll I'll actually just run through the lineup. So Zinsberger was in goal. McCabe was at right back. Um Illestet and Ruben Moy were the centre backs. Catley was on the left. There was no Leah Valti or Kim Little. So Victoria Palova Palova partnered Kyra Cooney Cross uh, in midfield. Lacasse started on the right, Ford on the left, Leonardson Maunum in the 10 and Alessia Russo led the line. Max, what did you think of the, of the lineup? Um, and specifically, I guess, McCabe at right back. As you guys have, have mentioned um, before on this pod and previous pod, I don't think McCabe at right back is, is ideal at all. Um, and actually I think that caused us a lot of problems in the first half. Um, I'll come on to, but in terms of the lineup more generally, obviously the thing that stood out is, is the midfield. We all, I think most of us assumed that um, Little and Velti were simply rested midweek in the Conti Cup. Um, obviously, turned out that that wasn't the case, but I think when you get lineups like this, there's normally quite a lot of excitement because, um, as good as Little and Velti are, people, as I, as I mentioned, when we covered the Conti Cup game, um, people want to see something different in midfield. So, yeah, I was quite excited to see how it panned out, but I was at the same time a bit like, oh, okay, that, that midfield, that, that could take a while for us to sort of get to grips with what we're doing there. Um, but going back to Katie at right back, I think um, she was kind of caught almost, it felt like we weren't quite sure how we wanted to use her in the first half because there were, there were times when she was inverting, um, but 
either wasn't being used or it just wasn't really working. And there were other times where she stayed wide, but then she was, there's one mistake in particular where she basically receives it and she has a pass on up the line to the calf. And instead she doesn't want to use her weak foot. So she goes back inside and gives it straight away to um, a Leicester player. And Leicester in the first half in general were, were very good, I thought, at forcing turnovers. Um, and it was something that we really struggled with. And I think, you know, how much that's down to specifically having Katie at right back and the sort of tactical element that, that brings and how much I think it's down to basically Arsenal taking a while to get to grips with exactly what sort of a game this was going to be and what was on offer for them as they beat Leicester's press. I think I think that was an issue. We, to take it, to use a, a classic Mikel Arteta phrase of uh, when I lose a deal, I'm upset. I think a, prob- a simple problem in that first half was Arsenal, they just weren't winning those duels, and, uh, or not even necessarily duels, but, you know, dribbling away from players, stuff like that. Leicester were, were getting to the ball first, or they were winning the ball. They'd few, forced a few high turnovers, and so rather than Arsenal being able to get away and then have that space in behind to attack, instead it was leading to Leicester chances, and um, I think Arsenal in that sense were just really sloppy in the first half, and um, I don't know what happened at half-time, but could imagine if I mean Jonas actually said in this post-game press conference that he didn't go crazy in the dressing room. I wonder if it was just a case of saying, "Look, if we just start doing these things, if we get away from our player, if we if we if we look for that space in behind, we can uh, cause them problems." Um, but yeah, first half it was a real issue, and I think um, <laughs> it's strange because Leicester did capitulate completely in the second half. But I think you have to give Leicester credit for, for uh, how they approached um, that first half. I think on Katie as well. This game probably showed up the worst sides of her playing at right back defensively as well. Both, I already talked about body positioning in 1v1s, which is an issue if you're playing on your opposite side and you're not really used to that. Um, But also just basic positioning at right back when when you're not used to playing there. Lesser were were able to get into those areas and behind her so often because she she really didn't have the the correct positioning in in those areas to, to cover... Uh, to cover defensively and that that that's a big issue and that's the gamble you take when playing her there which you know i know worked against manchester city but when you have uh Maritz available i still kind of struggle to see why we did that this game but yeah just to jump back in there i think that seemed like an area leicester had clearly targeted there were quite a few times where they yeah. they managed to switch the ball out to that right hand side to 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 our right hand side, their left, and um, uh, I think it was Kane. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Their, their their left winger who really had the beating of her at times. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was a warning sign with that before their first goal, where lots of Moy makes that amazing clearance with the ball across goal, and then they scored from a very similar situation to go two up uh, a few minutes later. So uh, yeah, just echoing something I said before. Yeah, and it's. I mean, I guess the flip side is. Um, Katie McCabe and Steph Catley are both really good footballers. And I wonder if, um, Seb, I don't know what you think about this, but I wonder if as a a coach or a manager, there is just a voice in your head that says, if you can get Katie McCabe on the pitch, try and do it. I, I do think there's a case of that. And I think her starting every game Bar United sort of supports that and playing in basically every role apart from playing left back. Um, but I think there's 
an instructive example in uh, Russo and Spaxinius, who are also two very, very good footballers who share the same role, in that you don't necessarily have to start both at the same time. You can leverage their individual qualities against each other and uh, use them in different game states and in different game sort of situations and different uh, opponents you face um, to leverage their individual qualities against the opponent rather than just forcing people into positions they're probably not comfortable in just to have them on the pitch. Yeah, that's that. That's fair. I do have one more Katie McCabe question, and then I will ask about something else. But Max, um, I guess the other thing is, do you think maybe an argument for starting Katie in this game and having her invert is the fact that Arsenal didn't have their normal midfield partnership? Um, yeah, quite possibly. I think, I mean, at the very end of the game, actually, when we made a few subs, she actually played as the sort of de facto, um, one of the central midfielders. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that could well have been part of um, Yannis' thinking. It's an interesting one because we haven't seen him invert the fullbacks that a great deal. Uh, but he did do it a bit last towards the end of last season when we went to the back three mm-hmm. and we our squad was really stretched. Um, and Wolfsburg away is the one that stands up to yeah. me where, where Katie uh, it was quite clear that Katie was doing that. Um, so, yeah, it's quite possible. Um, at the same time, I think part of it might just be that maybe he doesn't fancy the world Moritz at the moment um, without wanting to do that too much. I don't think she looked great against Bristol City, just seems to be lacking a bit of sharpness and um, there have been other games as well this season where she's not been picked. Um, so I wonder if it's just a simple fact that we have a bit of a deficiency in the right back area. Um, that was obviously being right her out with her ACL as well and I know that that was, that was reportedly an area that Arsenal had targeted in the summer. Um, so I wonder if it's as much to do with Availability as it is tactical, um, but I think yeah, it, it could well be, it could well be a tactical uh, element to it. Could be. Uh, I will now move on from asking about Katie McCabe. Seb, you you already kind of gave an overview of of um, how the game changed. I guess specifically in the first half, what was going wrong? Because after the game, Jonas was asked whether. Arsenal play better when there's more energy and they're taking people on and they get um, momentum, I guess. I'm paraphrasing here. But, but he basically said that they weren't they weren't troubling Leicester's kind of high pressing man marking system. Um, so what was going what was going wrong? Yeah, this this goes back to what I said at the start of this and uh, what changed in the second half, which basically was a lot of mistakes in the first half and that's how you deal with a aggressive one-to-one approach in defense when you have qualitative superiority over your opponent um so the two main ways to do that is a um individual actions in actually leveraging that qualitative superiority so that would mean either the center backs or uh, other people just beating their man and then going from there and uh, progressing the ball through breaking the structure through dribbling is one of the options and the other is just leveraging their uh, aggressive approach against them by preparing moves deeper and then sort of exploiting the space they leave in defensive transition behind um, 
in the first half, we really did neither very well. Uh, especially midfield was an area where there was a bit of a lack of structure and uh, Cooney Cross especially improved massively in the second half, not just through individual merit, but through a lot more of a structured structured midfield as in general and structured the sort of back five in general, uh, as well as um, sort of more coherent moves stemming from that structure in in the back end of the pitch. Uh, to then prepare those moves to go over their press and so on. In the first half, we didn't really do that. That's one of the big issues. The other big issue was just a defensive one um, that stemmed from both Katie at right back. I think a lot of this is going to be leveraged at the right-hand side of our defense, which was where all of Leicester's threat went through. So that's quite uh, fitting that those those players would come into question. Um, Illestead is another one who... I'm quite disappointed in generally in in her signing so far. I really don't think she's shown much in in the game she's played both a lot of sort of simple mistakes with the ball as well as some really clunky positioning errors and and defensive errors. I remember there was one situation where uh the ball broke loose on the right-hand side and uh she had about a 2 meter advantage to her opposite number in chasing a loose ball. And rather than engaging with the ball directly, she sort of curved her run to anticipate her opposite number, grabbing the ball and then going at her, uh, which then forces into another uh, really dangerous defensive transition. Um, that was an issue, and I think generally there are question marks around her. Um, and then I was relatively upset with uh, Zinsberger on both goals, and it's something that sort of announced itself because uh Max already mentioned the clearance Lotte made uh Lotte Woman Woy made uh for before the first goal. Um if you look at that look back at that, uh she uh ends that sequence in screaming to uh Manuela Zilsberger to to pick up the fucking ball. Um <laughs> And that was a big issue for the uh, for the two goals as well. And in the corner that led to the first goal she had the opportunity to go out and claim that ball on the first contact that then led to it being played over the top for the second player. And in the cutback to Cayman as well, that ball was played sort of a meter before her and through proactive positioning, she could have cut that moment out as well as a few others of those dangerous cutback situations. So I think she as well is someone who had a, pretty negative impact on the game in the first half um but then still credit to the team for recognizing those mistakes and it probably didn't require much of a kicking down rather than just explaining these are the things we need to do to break that uh, defensive system of theirs and then executing that uh correctly in the second half uh, it was it was uh I will stop talking about the right side of our defense, but it was <laughs> it was noticeable how often Illestep was finding herself kind of dragged out into wider positions than a centre back usually likes to defend. Yeah, um, and uh, quite a few times in the first half, she was I think the technical term is roasted <laughs> by uh, by her opponent. Um, it wasn't the best performance. Obviously, part of that is because of the. The circumstances of the, the game more generally but max we've seen quite a lot of um 
different defensive lineups this season. It feels like every game we kind of have a different defensive lineup. What are your what are your thoughts on that situation? Yeah, I mean, I don't think having um, an unstable back four is is helpful at the best of times, particularly not when you're basically changing your your two central defenders from the previous season. Um, having having obviously lost Lear and Hafler and having brought in Illustat and Kaidina. Um To be fair, there has just been the issue of availability. Um, against Bristol City, we saw um, with Moy and Kaidina start. Um, and I I think maybe the long-term plan, or not long-term because eventually Lear will come back, but the plan until Lear comes back, maybe it is still to play um, Lotta and Kaidina, but obviously Kaidina's missed, but she's been available for the last two games. So I think then you're you're basically picking between Illustet and Jen Beatty. Um so yeah, I would like to think that we that hopefully Kadina can say fit. Um because I think there is yeah, there is obviously one centre half spot up for grabs. Um on the flip side I would say that although you could maybe question her on the goal, although I agree with on on the first goal, I agree with Seb though that I think Zinsberg has got to be climbing the cross. But generally with Moy has been been excellent this season. Um I mean that that clearance I think is incredible from there to to actually not stick the ball in her own net, um, which you see quite often from that position. Uh, and she was great against City as well. Um, so it's really and, and obviously the good thing with Lotta is that she's very versatile. She can play on both sides. Um, so obviously in a step place, she plays left centre back, goes over to the right. Quite either plays. Um, so I think really it's just about nailing down that 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 uh, other centre back slot. And I guess we will see that will all sort of come out in the wash when when Inistat and Claudine Rubber fit at the same time and we see who, who regularly gets picked. Um, I think one reassuring thing for me is that we seem to have settled on playing uh, just playing a back four. Uh, I think a lot of people thought we'd go for three against City. And then, yeah, uh, I guess with fullback, it's, it's going to be two from three out of uh, Maritz, Catley and, and McCabe. And yeah, McCabe at right back, not ideal. Um, so... Yeah, I think there'll be, I think there'll be more of a sort of horses for courses approach with with the fullbacks, um, in terms of the different things those three players offer. But yeah, I think I'd say I think on uh, the game against Leicester was definitely our worst defensive performance of the season. I think we mentioned on the last part I think about maybe there was a bit of uh, bad luck when it came to the sort of variance that our underlying numbers weren't too bad. Um, but I think. Th- we can really complain we're conceding two goals in the first half of the game against Leicester. Um, because I think, as, as, as has been said before, um, Leicester knew the areas to exploit and they, and they did that really well. And um, yeah, I don't really want to be too critical of Leicester, um, but I don't, she, she hasn't convinced me so far. And I think, um, yeah, obviously you guys mentioned, said mentioned her being dragged out of position. I think on the ball as well. Uh, she can probably do a bit better. She gives the ball away quite cheaply in the sequence that leads to the corner, uh, which is the first goal we we concede. Um, so yeah, I think there's work to be done there, but I also think it's just a bit unfortunate that um, Kadina hasn't been able to stay fit. Yes, yeah, that's that's true, and hopefully, in time, we see a more settled defence. But um, enough about the bad stuff because there was some good stuff to talk about in this game. Um, Talking about the fun attacking football of the second half, 
Jonas said, I thought it was a great representation of the way Arsenal play football. Seb, which of the six goals was your favourite? It's a good question. They're all relatively similar. They're all situations where we're able to play behind their last line to one player who then finishes. Um, I think the picks are between either Stina's goal, where uh, Palova does a really good job at finding her and uh, Stina's run is really nice to free herself up in the finish as well. Um, and my favorite is probably the Lina Hurtig goal, both for the finish itself, which was really excellent, but the, the Palova pass that preceded it is just immaculately, immaculately timed. Yeah. Max, how about you? Um, I think I'm going to have to go for the third goal in the game, the one that put us ahead, which was scored by Caitlin Ford, because it's one of those goals. First of all, it's just Ooh, a really quick, yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. just a really quick counterattack, but also one of those where you can see the move playing out before it happens, because it's, uh, I think it's Mornan holds off a, a Leicester player on the edge of the box and gets it out to the cast. Immediately, you can see um, the cast has that sort of through ball uh, into the channel to to Russo, and then from there. Russo first time to, to Ford and it's an absolutely brilliant finish curling it right into the top corner so yeah I really like those goals where you can almost see it unfolding before it happens and um, yeah the execution by every player in that move was perfect and obviously being the one that turned the game around that was probably the one I celebrated the most vigorously in my front room <laughs> yeah that was that was also my uh, my favorite the finish is just really cool the finish is sublime it's one of, it's, mm. i like i like when i see a professional footballer do something that i could just never do like if i was in that position i just couldn't get the ball to do that uh which is yeah i, I like when that happens um, <laughs> but there were there were a lot to choose from um we spoke about arsenal um just completely switching this up um, at halftime and taking on their opponents a lot more. Um, I guess, uh, without realising, I'm actually going back to the bad here, but I, I guess why, uh, Seb, I'll ask you, why did we not do that in the first half? And I guess also, in addition to that, the start against Man City wasn't particularly good either. Are you at all concerned that we're uh, a bad starting side? To answer the second question first, I'm not necessarily concerned about bad starts, both because both of them are relatively circumstantial, and secondly, because we've seen in both examples that Jonas has the capability to change the rhythm and change the approach, either at halftime or even... Uh, in regards to the Manchester City game, while it's happening. Uh, although you could argue that's as much down to better execution as it is a change in plan. Um, but yeah, generally we are able to assess the the sort of rhythm of a game and then uh, adjust accordingly, which is an, a really good quality to have. On the first question, I think it's impossible to answer without knowing what the initial game plan was. Um, I would just say, go back to saying, um, that manufacturing these situations where you're able to be 1v1 with your opposite number and exploit that space in behind requires a level of, um, preparing, uh, preparedness and, um, 
preparation for the move to even get to that point that was just lacking in the first half, both through positioning and execution. And yeah, just fixing those issues at halftime then led to getting more frequently into positions where you are able to manufacture those situations and then subsequently beat your opposite number and then subsequently uh, get into attacking positions. Okay. Well, now we will actually have some more good stuff to talk about. Um, Max, I will... There's kind of so much to pick from that I will I'll basically just ask you who do you like most want to talk about um, from all the fun that we had in the in the second half? You can kind of take this wherever you want. Well, I feel like the maybe the obvious answer here would be the player of the match, uh, which was Victoria Pulova. Um But You're I'm right actually bastard. gonna yeah. But actually, I'm gonna kindly leave that one to you, Seb, because the player the player that I want to talk about is um, Chloe Lucas, actually, because I think when you look at the moments that change the game. I mean, maybe like game-changing moments aren't so important when we conceded six goals in the second half and created like nearly six XG. But we started that second half with real intent. You can see it right from the start of the half where we fit straight from the kickoff. We go long, we go wide to the cast. Um and that the first goal kind of you know really kickstarts that comeback, and it comes from. First of all, it's the first clear example of Arsenal just trying to directly exploit that space in behind um, the Leicester defence. And obviously the, the pass, which I think was Ford, mm-hmm. um, slightly overhit, the defender gets there, and then it's really good tenacity um, from from McCaff just to win the ball back and, and, and then cool finish as well. And I think that just changes the whole dynamic of the game because obviously then Leicester probably didn't expect to be too up. Uh, uh, know that they're going to be facing this onslaught and um, yeah I think she's just a really relentless player and that goal really summed her up um, and then she also sets up uh, Pullover's goal as well and she has a big hand in the uh, the third goal which we already mentioned um, so yeah I think for me she kind of epitomised that sort of that additional intent which Arsenal showed um, in the second half and I think at the moment where Obviously, Beth Mead is still recovering, really, from her ACL. We know it takes a long time uh, for players to get back to their best, if they ever do, which, obviously, fingers crossed, Beth will. And I think right now, uh, the cast is a really important player for us, stylistically quite similar, I think, to, to Mead in a lot of ways. Very, very direct, um, bit of a dribbler. And, um, yeah, um, you mentioned that quote from Jonas talking about how, like, Arsenal are a better team when... Uh, there's more energy in the game, and I think uh, the cast kind of exemplifies that a bit. She's, I think, she's a real high energy player, and um, yeah, I think for a game for a game like this, uh, she was really really helpful for Arsenal in, in turning it around. That's also now like three really momentum shifting moments from her. She's the one that scored the two two against United. She's the one that cut out the pass for the Keating uh, foul that led to the penalty against City, and now winning that duel against uh, her opposite number there, which, yeah, all really, really good examples of her sort of intensity. Great chant as well, which you probably mentioned. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, um, yeah, I think that's been in everyone's everyone's ears for for the last week. That's a real earworm, that chant. Um, yeah, Seb, I'll come to you now. I get, 
I have this, just this feeling that you want to talk about Victoria Pulova. Yeah, um, I'm going to disregard my uh, weekly appraisal of Alessia Russo being excellent to say that uh, <laughs> Victoria Pulova is just so good at football. Um, I recently tweeted that she like significantly jumped the list of my favorite Arsenal players. Um, she's both a delight to watch uh, on the ball. Uh, she has a tenacity to her game that's really admirable. Um, I'm really glad she has now shown in... <clears throat> three or four games on the spin, uh, how well she does in the deeper role in midfield, um, both in terms of her ability to uh, attack, uh, to, to cover defensive transitions. She's the one who wins the ball back that then leads to the free kick uh, for the first goal against City, where she also then wins that ball, wins the free kick, goes up, wins the second ball off the free kick to then play in Ford, who plays in uh, Catley to score. That's incredibly um, competitive play. And her ability to wriggle out of pressure in deeper areas is really good. The Leicester game sort of exemplified her her passing range, which is excellent. And especially finding those through balls in behind. It, it, the weight on all those passes was just excellent. Timing is really well done. So she really brings something to midfield. And that's even without talking about driving with the ball, which... She hadn't had that much uh, opportunity to do in this game specifically, but is also really apt at. So I think her she really has put down a label of being a long-term solution in that deeper midfield role, and she's just been one one of, if not the best player in the last three games. Yes, I know. Um, after after the game, she said, and obviously this is something that we've we've spoken about and just as other people have spoken about kind of her versatility and the fact that she can play in different positions after the game she said she wants to play centrally she doesn't care whether it's six whether it's eight whether whether it's ten that's where she feels like she's at her best and uh yeah it's impressive uh it's impressive how quickly she has shown that she deserves to be in that midfield uh partnership for arsenal i guess seb coming back to you um how did you how did you feel about her partnership with with Kyra Cooney Cross, which could be a talented but maybe fragile or, or vulnerable partnership because they're both uh quite attacking players who are playing deeper. Um yeah, what did you think of their midfield performance? Uh before I answer that, just quickly on her interview that she did, she also gave us a probably the best explanation for the first half in saying uh, we conceded two goals. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but yes. um, yeah, um, I think I already covered this. Uh, that I think in the first half, there were quite a few issues in how the midfield was set up, specifically in Cairo Cooney Cross's positioning and just a general lack of structure in that area that led to a lot of turnovers from Leicester. That issue was fixed somewhat in the second half and just finding the right place to then get into attacking positions. So I think it's, it's, it worked out for this game fine. I have my reservations on if, if those two as a deeper midfield pair would work. Uh, I would suggest there's just not enough defensive heft, especially in, in positioning with regards to Cooney Cross. Um, 
but the prospect of them as as eights with uh, an actual sitting six besides them is something that's quite interesting and a nice idea to have, especially considering we've done this a few times where we have um, in deep build-up a more six to eight situation with one of the pivots pushing up into the into one of the half spaces and then in higher positions having one of them drop and one of them get higher up so that's that's something we can explore with those two as well um and a nice option to to have and uh, with a lot of other variations of that being possible but yeah probably not as a double six but them playing together with another deeper midfielder is something i'd very much like to see yeah, I agree, and I think uh, the kind of the midfield variation that we've seen this season, we've spoken about kind of the changes in positioning, is going to be interesting to see going forward. Because as we spoke about earlier, obviously we also have Katrina Cool, who's another fantastic young midfielder, um, even younger than Cooney be... Cross as well. That's just yes. crazy. I will ask here if either of you has anything, any like specific points that you want to speak about for this game. Firstly, just picking up on that point about Pelova saying, you know, she's comfortable playing as a six, an eight, a ten, wherever. I think we kind of we see that in her game in terms of like the different layers she has to it, the defensive tenacity, what she could do going forward. And in this game specifically, I quite like that when when Stina came on and um, Russo dropped playing as a ten, she, Russo was still then dropping deep as she often does, but then. Palova was kind of occupying the number 10 position and there was one one attack that basically came from Russo dropping deep. Palova pushes forward and then because we actually had another centre forward on the pitch, there wasn't then a sort of gaping hole in our attack. And so, yeah, just, just um, yeah, a kind of a, in a nutshell, sort of a nice example of, of um, her sort of busted it she has within the different midfield positions. And also just, just quickly going back to Arsenal sort of figuring out this game and working out, you know, how to... How to beat that Leicester high press um, at the end of the game? I think what we saw towards the end was Arsenal just being quite patient about that. And if you look at the uh, how the uh, Hertig's goal, the sixth goal in the game, um, that basically develops from Arsenal um, being patient, going back all the way to the halfway line to um, I think it's Wigan Moy and sort of drawing the Leicester press out and then playing in behind. And it was just a quite nice example of. Arsenal by that point and probably to be fair it, it Chad mentioned Leicester's intensity of their press dropping off which obviously is, is not a good combination with Highline but it was a good example of Arsenal sort of at that point having fully got to grips of what how what was on offer for them in this game and um, yeah we saw that in the second half on the whole but the, the, the sixth goal is quite a nice uh, example of that yes yes it was okay so what one final question from me I guess is that at one point in the game, we had gone from 2-0 down to 5-2 up. Max, was there any part of you that didn't want Arsenal to score? Because going from 2-0 down to 5-2 up is just a, a classic Arsenal uh, performance. <laughs> That's a good point. I hadn't considered that at all. Uh, but what I would say to that is Arsenal were playing Spurs at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 
winning in December. And if there's a game, which I think you're alluding to, where it'd be good to ask them to stop at five, I think that's the one. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed in front of, uh, hopefully Tottenham get a good crowd for that game. I, I know Arsenal have already sold out the away end. So I'd call like to see that and, and just see the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium slowly <laughs> emptying as that happens. But no, that hasn't crossed my mind. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, well... That's all we have time for in this episode. Seb, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Uh, Max, thank you again. Do you have anything you would like to plug? I'll just plug my um, my Twitter account this time. So um, it's uh, at Max underscore Rads on uh, Twitter. And on that account as well, you'll find like, links to my Substack. I did an article last week just looking writing about Arsenal being women being at Meadow Park and the sort of crossroads they're at uh, now with the sort of playing more games in the Emirates. So if that's something that interests you, uh, have a look at that. Um, but uh, other than that, no. And um, yeah, thanks thanks for having me. Again, I'm kind of becoming like the, you know that Arsenal fan who keeps appearing in like screenshots in your way <laughs> at random games? <laughs> turns out having my thought. what happened again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was <laughs> it was a pleasure to have you. Um, you can find all of our socials in the show notes. Um, please make sure to like, subscribe, review, whichever is applicable to your podcast platform of choice. Uh, the music for this episode was composed by James Blake, who you can find on Spotify at JW Blake. That's it for us. Go well.